Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. What's up, 49ers faithful? We are back with another episode of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast, sponsored by theqbseek.com. And remember, for accurate predictions on every NFL matchup and thought-provoking NFL content that can help your fantasy teams or confidence pools, head to theqbseek.com. And guys, we're coming off of a heartbreaking loss against the Baltimore Ravens and what I consider to be the best team in the NFL. And the Niners hung in there. The weather was terrible. And you're going up against what, in my opinion, is the MVP of the league, Lamar Jackson. And and stats and Levin, what can we take away from this loss, if anything? I think you take away that uh, the Niners are still two, ten and two, and they've lost two games on game-ending field goals. I mean, yeah, they lost, but they're playing on the road against the clearly one of the top two teams in the league. I think the Niners be considered right there, considering they lost on a last-second field goal on the road to Baltimore. So I think you take take away from it that at the very least the Niners are one of the top teams should be one of the Super Bowl favorites and they travel well I mean that was what game number four I think on the eastern coast and they won the previous three if I'm not mistaken so they travel well and if they have to go on the road in the playoffs at any point shouldn't be a problem and keep in mind the Super Bowl is east coast I'm encouraged. I mean, everything I thought about the 49ers going into this game, I still think about them now. The defense put forth an incredible effort. I mean, Baltimore was just rolling people, and the defense held them to 20 points. One one of those touchdowns was completely set up by the Jimmy Garoppolo fumble because it put them immediately in the red zone. Baltimore was held to just 4.6 yards per play. This defense played out of its mind, and that's without D Ford. That's without Tart, who missed some of the game after he was injured. I mean, I'm encouraged, completely encouraged by this. And I think that if the Niners do have to play Baltimore again, I think the defense will be much more prepared having seen Lamar Jackson and how they do things once already. They really seem to adjust after the first half. Lamar Jackson was kind of, I would say having his way, but he was giving them the most trouble that we've seen out of anybody up to this point in the season. And the Niners came out in the second half and they they changed their game plan a little bit. And I think that Baltimore also did as well. They started trying to throw the ball more. Good old Greg Roman, right? Can can never help himself and, and just has to be throwing the ball. But I think that Robert Sala did a really good job of adjusting. And that's one of the other things you look for is because when you come to the stretch run and, and the playoffs and when the finality is there, you have to be able to make adjustments within the game because there may not be another game the next week, right? Especially obviously in the playoffs. So the fact that they were able to make that adjustment mid game and be able to contain him for the second half, allow only that one field goal that ended up winning the game in the second half to me is it's huge. And you're talking about, again, like I said, in the open, the number one team in the league, this team, this Baltimore team has won in Seattle. They've beaten new England. They have beaten the Niners now, and they basically, handily beaten all those teams. The Niners actually were one of their closer games, but they've handily beaten those other teams. So I'm not big on moral victories, but we have to, we have to look at this when we're not in a vacuum. We have to look at this in the totality of the season. And this is a big step for the Niners. This is something that they would not have been able to do two years ago. We know that. And you have to be able to hang in with the best teams in the league. And that's what they did. And, and they came out on the wrong end of it this time. But guys, I'm really convinced if that game was in San Francisco or if the weather wasn't trash like it was on Sunday, 
the Niners would probably win that game. They couldn't run their offense. Jimmy couldn't throw the ball in the rain. We know that about him now. He's not a good bad weather quarterback. He had that fumble, like you mentioned, stats. But if you put that on a, a, either a neutral field or in San Francisco, the Niners win that game. Yeah, and I don't think Jimmy played that terrible. I mean, if we want to lead off with talking Jimmy, I guess uh, we can. We, we talk about him pretty much every game. But I think <laughs> for the weather and the opponent's quality, he did as well as you would expect. Was it a great game? No. But Lamar Jackson wasn't great either. I mean, he was better than Jimmy, I would say. But I think Lamar is, there's a reason why he's the leader for MVP. But in the end, Jimmy had a rating of 110. He had the QBR, if you want to use ESPN stat. Why they named it QBR when QB rating is also QBR, I don't know. But he had a 70 on there, which is very good by their rating. And he ended up completing 15 of 21 passes in the rain with the touchdown. And then he had the one fumble. He had one really bad play that I would say was largely on him. I wouldn't give him 100% of the blame, but largely on him. But overall, I think he played well. And considering the opponent, it was a game that you would take for your quarterback in a game like that. Yeah, I thought the fumble, I mean... He had talked about after the Seattle game needing to be better with ball security, and I went specifically to watch the fumble today. And I have to say, I thought he did a pretty good job. He had two hands on it. He had the ball tucked away. You know, it was wet, and sometimes you just fumble. If a guy hits the ball in the right spot, it's going to come out. So I didn't think he was careless with the ball. Um, I thought he made a lot of plays with guys around him, a couple of little dump-off plays that ended up going for big gains. He had a completion to Bourne on third down that was sort of a, a... haphazard not a haphazard what do I want to say sort of an unplanned play where he threw it to Bourne on third down and he ended up going for about 30 yards Garoppolo was not the problem for the 49ers on Sunday Kyle Shanahan was yeah and I think that segues nicely into our next sort of point here which is the hot button topic this week at least with the Niners is that the fourth and one play at the end of the game well I mean the game wasn't over at that point but essentially it was when Baltimore took the ball back because the Niners never saw the ball again but it was set up basically by three Mostert runs, right? It was basically three, three, and three. That's what happened. And it was fourth and one. They were in Baltimore territory. Robbie Gold had already missed a 51-yard field goal before the, before the end of the half, which we'll get to in a second. But at that moment, the Niners basically had control of the game. And if they were able to convert on that first down, that basically gives you a little bit more room. You can take more time off the clock. I understand what Kyle Shanahan was trying to do at the end of the half. He didn't want to give the ball back to Lamar Jackson. I think that... They were trying to do the same thing at the end of the game, and, and I and I appreciate that, and I applaud that, and I think that that was the right intent. However, the the play on fourth and one, and I'm, I'm look, I'm not trying to be negative here, guys. Like, I mean, I've been people people accuse me of being negative on Twitter. That's not the that's not the case, right? Like, I'll I'll criticize when it's warranted, and I will absolutely hundred percent praise them when it's warranted. I'm I will be the first one to praise them. So, in this situation, I'm going to be critical of this because Raheem Mostert was having a career day, literally a career day. He had 100 almost 150 yards rushing. The Niners were rushing at six yards a pop. He was constantly getting open on the on the edges and the perimeter. And Baltimore had no answer for that. He's the fastest player on your team, one of the fastest players in the league. And he was absolutely just just taking off chunks of yardage. So before that play happened, we remember there's a timeout actually before the play. I think that the Niners were trying to get lined up for a quick QB sneak. And Jimmy was going to try to sneak it for an easy first down or a, a sneaky first down. And they weren't able to get the playoff. So uh, the, a timeout was called. Now they come out of that play and they're in shotgun and Jimmy's flanked by use check and Mostert on both sides. And I'm like, they're throwing this for sure. And immediately, if you're the defense, 
that takes away the run because you know that, okay, they're not going to run it out of shotgun. They need one yard. Jimmy is sitting four yards back from the line of scrimmage. You're not going to hand it four yards off back behind the line of scrimmage to gain one yard of positive yardage. So that tells them that like, okay, this is most likely a passing play that takes that out of their mind that there could be a run play. That was the first mistake. The second mistake was that you needed one yard. And I know that it was a short little button hook pass. I had a chance to look at the play today and see what was actually going on from the all 22 angle. And Earl Thomas was, he read that route. He was all over Kittle probably would have been illegal contact if the ball got all the way through. But at that point you can't give it up. You can't give it up to the officials to make that call at that juncture in the game. But that was, that pass was not going to be completed. Earl Thomas was already there. The third mistake was that in my opinion, if you're, if you're not going to uh, um, try to, to, throw the ball down the field or we saw them throw the ball down the field in the fourth and two early in the game. Debo had that great touchdown. But if you're, if, if this is your plan to try to milk the clock and keep Lamar Jackson off the field and you've been running at six yards a clip, you have to run the ball there. Jerry Rice was on the radio today here in the Bay area saying the same exact thing. And for the people that are saying like, Oh, well, we don't know what we're talking about because we're just bloggers or whatever the hell they want to call us. But the greatest player of all time said that they should, they should have run the ball and left it up the offensive line. So I'm going to go with him. And I guess I guess we'll start there. Well, I'll just say this: that I'm I'm okay with them passing there. I'm not okay with the way they lined up. You made it easy for the defense. Mm-hmm. You took the guessing part of it out. The defense didn't have to decide whether it was going to be a run or a pass. They were able to know pre-snap. Okay, they're passing. You don't give the defense the advantage in that situation when it's fourth and one. You the exact thing you want to do is line up with all types of plays being an option. So the defense has to defend both. And if you run it, that maybe leaves that slight opening because the defensive back has to hesitate and see if it's a pass first, or if it's a pass, you have the uh, linebackers sitting up in case it's a run because they have to be there right away and stop you before you get a yard. They took all that guesswork out and made it easy on the defense. That's my issue with the play. It's not necessarily that they passed. It's the way they lined up. How much of that do you think is a fact? Or how much of that do you think is because Kyle Shanahan looked at the clock and said, there's six minutes and 33 seconds left. Even if we don't get this, we'll still get the ball back one more time. And worst case scenario, you know, we're down seven. I think a lot. I think, honestly, I, I thought of that at the time, actually, Stats, and I think that that had a lot to do with it. He expected that they were going to get the ball back. Otherwise, why would you, why would you approach that drive that way? I think it's, it's classic criticism of Kyle Shanahan. It, it's where he kind of loses sight of things. I think a really big factor was what happened at the end of the first half. Yes. He went mm-hmm. forward on fourth down, and he got a long touchdown. He wanted to do that again. He thought, hey, we did it once. Let's do it again. Let's get him. And he got ahead of himself. He he lost sight. He it, it's that classic. He's the offensive coordinator, and he didn't have the head coach going. Hey, hold on! You need one yard. Get the first down. Don't get cute. And that that's the criticism Kyle Shanahan's going to have to live with because at this point, it's happened often enough to be a true criticism that is real. I thought the bigger Kyle Shanahan blunder was at the end of the first half. And I was infuriated because they have the ball and they're just letting time just tick off the clock. Mm-hmm. It's, it was unbelievable how much time they let come. They completed a pass to Debo for eight yards. And it was first and 20. 
There was a minute and 13 left when they got the playoff. They didn't snap the ball again until there was 32 seconds left, and they had all their timeouts. And mm-hmm. after the game, Kyle says, well, our number one priority there was not giving the ball back to Lamar Jackson. No, Kyle, your number one priority there is to score points. That's how you're going to win. You're, you have to score points at that point. You were losing. And they ended up kicking that, trying that 51-yard field goal with Robbie Gould. Uh, Robbie Gold, and of course it was blocked and no good in those conditions. That's a you know that's a gamble. I just thought he completely mismanaged the end of the first half because he was so worried about Lamar Jackson that he didn't worry about actually having getting his team in the end zone. They they completely botched the end of that first half. They did, and I think that well, there's there's two thing two ways I think about that. First of all, they started. I, I texted you guys when they started that drive. They started the drive with the, with the draw play to Raheem Mostert, which got a bunch of yardage. Right? I was like, okay. That's what you do. The clock is going, and then they went into no huddle. They completed the pass to Debo, um, and then I believe that, that after that was the pass to Kittle, the screen to Kittle, where Emmanuel Sanders was called for the block in the back. So it was second and actually that was before the pass to Debo. So the clock was running. They threw the screen to Kittle. He got called for a block in the back on Sanders. It's now second and, and 20. And at that point, I'm like, well, they're behind the sticks now. What are they going to do? Like you can't really, and Jimmy struggles in that, in that area. This is when he's thrown the majority of his picks is when it's second, first and second and long after a penalty. And if you guys recall that Tampa Bay game, he threw a pick six on a, it was like a first and 18, I think um, in that, in that particular situation. So he's not good in that situation. So that's one thing. And the other thing is that when you're behind the sticks, it's like, well, with the MVP on the other side, I, I do understand what Shanahan was doing. However, when he completed that pass to Debo, you got most of that yardage back. And you can basically either bleed the clock out, which is what they did, or call a timeout and give yourselves a chance to get a first down, which is they end up getting a first down anyways. So when they got to the point where they're in Baltimore territory, the third down play was a little dump off to Mostert where they didn't get the first down. It's third and four. It's a dump off to Mostert. They got three. It was fourth and one. And that's really when he, they, they kind of conceded that drive, that third down play where Kyle was like, okay, I'm going to get as many yards as I can to try to get a field goal. To me, it was like, no, you had to get closer than that. If you're going to try a field goal, it can't be unless, unless you are desperate for points. If you're, if you're just trying to tie the game and you need, you need points, that has to be a closer field goal. You can't be kicking it from 50 yards out in the rain. So they should have at least tried to get closer, if not score. But I understand not scoring because it's like, okay, well, you can't take the you can't take a shot down the field because Jimmy can't throw it down the field because the ball's wet. But they should have at least, at the very least, gotten a little bit closer there. You can't coach football scared. It's not a sport that does well when you're coaching or playing scared. You can't be scared of your opposition. And Shanahan straddled the fence there. Mm-hmm. He's got to make a decision. Either you're just going to run the ball and get to halftime, only down three, when the the team was lucky at that point to only be down three because they didn't play that well in the first half. You're going to go for it and try to get the game even or take the lead before halftime. You, you got to choose. And he didn't. He sat in between, and he ended up in no man's land and running out of time when he could have gotten much closer and either made it a, a simple kick or had a chance to go for the touchdown. He, he has to make that choice. Either be aggressive and go for it or don't be aggressive and just get to halftime. 
Yeah, I just I thought it was a complete mismanagement by Kyle. And, you know, look, when in these games, when the schedule tightens up, those are the decisions that are going to determine whether or not the 49ers win or lose. And mm -hmm. honestly, so far this year, I feel like Kyle has turned up on the wrong end of those decisions and it has cost the team. It has. So I'll say one thing about Kyle Shannon. I love having Kyle Shannon as a head coach. I really think he's one of the better head coaches in the league. Like, let's not take that away from him. He is the primary reason. He is the biggest reason why they are 10 and 2. He's the biggest reason why they have 10 wins. However, I will also say that he is also the biggest reason why they have two losses. The, both of those <laughs> things are true. I, people, people may take that as negativity. It's not. It's, it's a true statement. He is the reason why they have 10 wins. And he is largely the reason why they have two losses because he did the same thing at the end of the Seattle game, mismanaged it. However, if you know, we're, we're splitting hairs, talking about running, passing, whatever it was. We know that he mismanaged the end of that game too. And we know that this is an ongoing problem stemming from that Super Bowl. I'm, I'm sure it, it happened before in lesser stages, but the Super Bowl then last year against Detroit at the end of the half, let them go, uh, get them back in the game against Green Bay last year when CJ was a quarterback, gave the ball back to Aaron Rodgers at the end of the game this year against Seattle and now against the Ravens. So like Levin said, like I agree, it's, it's happening enough where it's becoming a problem. But I think that he's he's talented enough as a play caller to avoid putting himself in that situation multiple times uh, before the season ends. Now, flash forward to the end of the game, and, and I've gone back and forth with people on Twitter, which I've really enjoyed. It's been a lot of fun talking about this with people getting different opinions. A lot of people have been saying, well, he went forward on fourth and two at the beginning of the game, the first drive, and Debo got a touchdown. But that's that's a different scenario. That's a different situation. The game just started. That's your first drive of the game. It's not the end of the game where you're trying to win the game and you're not, you have limited possessions because it's a short game. Guys, remember, this game actually ended before any of the other 10 o'clock games because it was such a short game. Everybody's running the ball so much. So you had a limited amount of possessions. You had to make the most of each one, and the sense of urgency was not there from Kyle. He should have played that last possession like it was going to be his last, and it was. And what I would have done, people always like to say, like, well, what would you have done? You're critical of it. Well, here's what I would have done. You line up basically in your goal line offense. Use check is playing, basically acting as your tight end. You bring Selick in as the extra tight end. You have Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert flanked on either side of Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy turns around, fakes the dive to Wilson, and then basically it's an option to Mostert, who's running parallel to the line of scrimmage, and it's a race to the sticks. Raheem Mostert is your fastest player. I trust him to beat out any player on the Ravens, but especially when everybody's bunched up tight in the middle of the field. When you fake that dive, every, the hope is that everybody will go after that fake and you can just run the old college option to Mostert, pitch it to him, and it's basically almost like a goal line play where you're racing to the pylon, you're racing to the sticks because all you need is one yard. That's what they should have done in my opinion. There's a lot of ways they could have gone and it's one of those things that you'll never know what, what would have worked and what wouldn't have worked because... It happened, and he didn't call a run play. So you don't really know how Baltimore would have defended the run and how they were going to set up and go for it, uh, stopping the run. But, I mean, it, it's the trade-off you take for having a guy that almost every game he has a very solid offensive game plan. In tight situations, he's not necessarily going to make the correct decision. That's going to be what you're going to have to live with to get all the positives that Kyle Shanahan brings. And I don't think, there's any argument that what Kyle Shanahan brings is overwhelmingly positive. It's just what you're going to have to live with. I 100% agree. And let's, you know, keep some perspective. A year ago today, the 49ers were 2 and 10. Mm -hmm. And we're sitting here now 10 and 2. So obviously things are much, much, much better. But I think it's fair to call out, you know, mistakes when they do happen. Now, I will say this I feel great about the game in New Orleans. 
Mm-hmm. Anytime the 49ers face a quarterback that's not super mobile, I feel like that defense is going to wreck their game plan. And Drew Brees, he, he has some escapability. I'll give him that. He's he's a little shiftier than you think, but he's not Lamar Jackson. And I know it's in New Orleans and it's a hostile environment, but I think that 49ers defense is going to get after it. And I have every confidence in Kyle Shanahan to come with another one of those good offensive game plans. And, and the Niners are going to be able to score points. And I think we should spend some time talking about the defensive game plan because this is the part that I sit on the fence for. Because on one hand, they did limit Lamar, and they overall, overall, I would say, probably did a decent job. I mean, it was their lowest and least efficient passing game of the season for Baltimore, that is. So they did a pretty good job of limiting him, but at the same time, they just said, okay, we're going to let Lamar run and we're going to trust our corners to come up and our safeties to come up and stop him. We're going to give him the outside and we're going to crash down and take care of that running back every single time. And I know watching the game, I tweeted about it multiple times. I was frustrated. Why not make Lamar give it up and trust your interior defensive line to stop the inside run by the running back? You want the running back to have the ball and you want the running back to be running on the inside. I kind of wish they would have at least to see if it would have worked. Make Lamar give it up. And we never once saw that. And that was clearly by design because every single time they ran that option, the running back was being tackled without hesitation by the defensive end. And Baltimore was letting them do it because they wanted Lamar to keep the ball. So I'm kind of torn on how the defense played. I also kind of torn on the way in which even when Lamar passed, I think it was very clear that they had orders to not be overly aggressive at trying to get to him. Mm-hmm. Stay where you're at, hold your ground so that he can't escape. Because I can't even remember a single pass that he was truly pressured on quickly. There, there was no Boza getting free. There was no Buckner coming up the middle that I can remember where it was clear that they're truly just trying to get upfield and get to the quarterback. They were more just holding their ground and creating a pocket and saying, okay, Lamar, you're going to have to stay in there and find the open guy. Good look against our secondary. And I was, it's one of those things that if you get too aggressive with a guy like Lamar, he could burn you, but you could also create a big play. And that's kind of what the Niners needed to make the difference. They never got that turnover on defense that would have flipped this game. Yeah, I think that it was interesting to me because they were playing the beginning of of the game in the first half where they gave up 17 points. It was their most, in my opinion, undisciplined half of football that I've seen them play. They took a couple of really dumb personal foul penalties that extended drives that basically gave Baltimore 10 points. Uh, Both of them happened on third downs. So those things are are really uncharacteristic of of what the Niners did. And I think that it, it was a really, really good lesson for them. Uh, as far as how to defend the read option, how to defend design run plays by the quarterback. And you're talking about a defensive line that that hasn't seen this before. Like nobody runs this offense anymore. Like even Seattle, Russell Wilson's a, a pocket quarterback now. He's not, he's not the same runner that he used to be. He runs when he needs to, but he stays mostly in the pocket now. And they struggle a little bit with Kyler Murray. And that was the, the, the first little glimpse that we saw. But even, even Arizona, they don't have design runs for Kyler Murray the way that that Baltimore does like, this is basically like what we saw here with the 49ers when Colin Kaepernick was here, that there are a lot of design running plays just for the quarterback or a lot of one read plays that you saw from Lamar Jackson. So in that sense, I think that you're not going to see a quarterback that unique the rest of the year, but at the same time, it's like, well, they were so undisciplined at times. It just, 
it kind of worries me because it's a copycat league. You may see more teams going to at least a fake of, of a handoff for a read option just to hold the defenders. And I think that stat, to Stats' point earlier, I'm not even worried, really worried about the New Orleans game. Like I know it's Drew Brees, and I know Michael Thomas is leading the league in receptions and has more receptions himself than the entire 49ers receiving crew combined. But I think that that doesn't really pose as much of a problem as a shifty quarterback does because that's the best way to neutralize the pass rush, right, is to be able to get a quarterback that designs run plays to, to beat your pass rushes. The Niners don't blitz a lot. They blitzed a couple times and were able to get to Jackson and at least let, make him throw it away or, or make, move him off of his spot. But Levin, I'm with you. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't their best game and they struggled. And, and I'm okay with that because you're not going to see this caliber of player again. Yeah, Lamar is a unicorn. I mean, he truly is one of a kind. There have been quarterbacks who were skilled, like Kaepernick, that have run this offense. There's been other quarterbacks that have run offenses that had options. Russell Wilson ran it quite often early in his career, but none of them were had this combination of being perfect at running the option, knowing when to hand it inside and when to keep it, and having this crazy speed. I would say Russell Wilson was great at knowing when to hand off to to Marshawn Lynch and when to keep it himself, but he doesn't have dominant speed. I mean, he, he's fast for a quarterback, but he's not fast overall, I would say. And then Kaepernick, he was just terrible at making that choice. I, I, I remember those games and being so frustrated that he would keep it himself when the defensive end never crashed down. Mm-hmm. And he would get tackled before he could get back to the line of scrimmage and Gore had the, the opening on the inside. So you've never had this combination of a quarterback that is a physical freak, is one of the fastest, if not the fastest guy on the field, and he executes this type of offense perfectly. So let's shift it forward then to New Orleans because, look, the Monday Night Football game is going on right now. Um, Seattle very well could be first in the NFC West when we when everybody wakes up on Tuesday morning. I fully and, expect that. I, yeah. I fully expect them to win because, look, as we as we watch this Monday Night game and, and by the time everybody hears us, the game will be over. We don't know, obviously don't know the outcome, but the way that Seattle plays on primetime, first of all, Pete Carroll lives for this, okay? When other teams crumble in front of him, there is no better team that I've, than I've seen in my life than the Seattle Seahawks to be able to take advantage of that. They, like If you give them an inch, they will take a mile. And this is what we've seen for eight years. We've seen Seattle start off 0-2, 2-3, and, and, and all of a sudden they're in the Super Bowl or they're in the playoffs or hosting a championship game because everybody in front of them is crumbling and they stick around long enough where they can, they can take advantage. And that's basically what it, what it is, is that every game, they won one game by more than a score this entire season. So... And it looks like that they're headed that way again tonight, where it's basically going to be a one-score game all the way to the end. But really, to me, like the Niners have to take care of their own business. And I'm sorry I cut you off, uh, stats, but it, it's just really frustrating to me. Like when you had a chance in Baltimore to take care of your own business, and and, and they blew it. So the, they're going to have to they have to win this game against the Saints. If every, if both teams went out, and it's a tiebreaker at the end, and the Niners went out all the way, and they lose to the Saints. Uh, then Seattle wins the division, regardless of what happens at the end of the year. Seattle will win the division if the, the Niners lose to the Saints because of that common opponent tiebreaker. Yeah, it's they definitely the pressure is still on them, which is so frustrating. They're ten and two. Like, I feel like if you're ten and two at this point in the season, you should be you know you should be locking up your division and and setting yourself up for the postseason. But they're still going to have to grind for the rest of the way. I think they're going to beat the Saints. I'm I'm not the only team that worries me on the schedule the rest of the year. I said it last week is Seattle at home. 
that's you know that's just been a house of horrors for San Francisco for years now. And I was really hoping tonight that Minnesota would kind of trip up Seattle just to give us a little cushion here, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. I mean, you know, the Seahawks always get a fluky play at home. In the third quarter, Dalvin Cook fumbled the ball. The Seahawks recovered. And then Dalvin Cook and Stephon Diggs were hurt on the same play. Yeah. Like everything yeah. lines up for the Seahawks at home. But the 49ers are going to have the chance to handle their business, and we'll find out whether or not they're going to be able to do it. Yeah, and and before we move forward, I, I realized you forgot to do game balls. Um, and uh, we'll just go through this real quick, and, and we'll continue on with the, with the the Saints game. So game balls, I'll start. Um, Mostert, I mean, he had a career day. Uh, he was great. Should have got the ball at the end. Should have had more yardage. Uh, they didn't give him the ball enough, and uh, he was dynamic. I think that basically he's taking that RB1 uh, job from Tevin Coleman right now while Breed is out. Breed should be back for the Saints game, hopefully. They get a bunch of other guys back. Staley should be back. D4 should be back. Um, so it's going to be a different 49ers team, hopefully, in, in a prepared Niners team in, in, in New Orleans. But um, for this past week, it's going to be uh, Raheem Mostert that gets my game ball. Well, I'll, uh, I'll pick somebody that I don't think either one of you are going to pick. And it's because I criticized him for this exact style of play a couple of weeks ago. And I'm going to pick Debo Samuel because of that fourth down touchdown because I criticized him a few weeks ago, I think it was the Seattle game actually, where he had a chance to go up and get the ball on a deep ball, and he didn't. He didn't stop and go up and get it. He he played it like it's still college, where the DB is not going to recover and be there to take it away. And you saw him in this game make that adjustment. He didn't make the rookie mistake. He cut in front of the defender, went up and got the ball so that the NFL quality defender doesn't have an opportunity to get it. And he did it in front of a very good corner being Peters. So I think he deserves a game ball just for that one play that he truly showed that he's growing as a rookie and he's emerging as a real deal, potential number one wide receiver. I want to give it to George Kittle because even though he only had two catches in the game, his blocking was incredible, but I'm not going to do that because I gave it to him last week. I want to give it to Fred Warner. I think Fred Warner is turning into one of the best linebackers in the league, specifically one of the best cover linebackers in the league. He was all over the field, 11 tackles, led the team in tackles, eight solo tackles by him, two passes defended. I'm so impressed with him every week, and I think the, the injury to Quan Alexander has sort of forced his development here, but I think he's growing up very quickly. And every time I see him play, I think he's getting better. All right. Well, so moving forward, hopefully I, I think that the Niners will bounce back in, in New Orleans. By the way, I also predicted the the Niners would lose against the Ravens. This is that was the last game, I think, the rest of the season where I'm like, I'm relatively sure that they're going to lose that game because of the the difficulty, the level of difficulty. Even the game in Seattle, Seattle doesn't have a defense. And I know that I know that uh, uh, Minnesota's up there and they're trying to make a comeback as we speak, but Seattle doesn't really have a defense to speak of and teams can move the ball and they can score. And I think that the Niners, they were able to do it to some extent at the beginning of the game here. And then Sanders went out and that was basically it. And there was no Kittle, as we know. And Staley was terrible that game. McGlinchey was first game back. So I think the Niners have a chance to run the table and, and, and control their own destiny and take home field and take the division. But it starts with New Orleans, and I think that they'll bounce back. The last time the Niners lost, they, they came out completely flat against Arizona. It was at home. It was a big emotional letdown for them, and they, and they had to scramble to get back into that game and win it. I don't think that it's gonna, that's going to happen this time because when you're on the road, you automatically play better. It's a hostile environment. 
the the adrenaline gets ramped up and you don't have that luxury of relaxing like you do at home. So I think really what you have to what, what it comes down to is that they're going to get default default back most likely. Sherman's banged up. He's a game time decision. Um, Pettis is probably out for another week. Staley is iffy on whether he's going to play or not. He's a game time decision. Kittle is obviously going to play. Tart's a game time decision with the ribs. So a lot is up in the air based off of a lot of these guys coming back. But if you feel the same team that you did in Baltimore and you play the same way defensively and you can get a couple more plays offensively, like it's in a dome, right? Like there's no weather, there's no elements. They can actually execute the full extent of their offense. You'll see George Kittle definitely more involved. He was, he was more involved as a blocker against Baltimore last week, but I really think they have a chance to make a statement and win in new Orleans. I wanted them to win one out of these three games in this quote unquote gauntlet. They've already done that. However, if they can get two out of these three games in the hardest schedule stretch in NFL history, then it's a major, major win for the Niners. And in the NFC. Don't forget, two of those wins would be in the conference, which would be huge for playoff tiebreakers, too. Correct. Correct. And I think in this New Orleans game, there's one very key matchup that far outweighs any of the others. And I'm really interested to see how the Niners defend it because now it's very much up in the air. I think there there would have been a very clear way they would have defended it but now Sherman's banged up and I think that matchup is against Michael Thomas he's a big physical receiver New Orleans has the most accurate quarterback in my opinion in NFL history and they're running to Michael Thomas in a similar way that they used to Marquez Colston uh so full disclosure I watch a lot of the Saints games because I was born and raised in West Lafayette Indiana I was in high school and had season tickets to the football games while Drew Brees was the quarterback at Purdue University. So that's my, I don't really, I wouldn't say it's the second team, but unless they're playing the Niners, I hope they win, basically. So I, I watch a lot of their games and I lived there for a year after college, which was their Super Bowl year. So that kind of ingrained it a little bit. But anyways, they what they do is essentially, it doesn't matter if, Michael Thomas gets separation or not. He's not the best at getting separation. He's not dominating the league and having this great receiving season because he's getting crazy separation. It's because he will catch every 50-50 ball thrown his way, and Drew Brees is crazy good at throwing it to the spot that Michael Thomas has the advantage and will win that. Well, now he's playing a team that has big corners, that he's not going to be able to necessarily physically bully. And it would have been a perfect game for Sherman to go up against him. And to me, that would have been a nasty physical matchup. But now Sherman's banged up. Do you really want him to be the one that draws that matchup? That means it's probably going to fall to Witherspoon, who's also a big corner. But I would say probably, I mean, I don't know if there's any cornerback in history that's been as good as Sherman in that physical style. So... Now, do they truly trust Witherspoon by himself, or are they going to give him constant help with an underneath linebacker or something like that? That that matchup is going to be the key, because if you can shut down Michael Thomas, the New Orleans offense doesn't have much else. Kamara has not been the same this year. He's been neutralized for the most part. He hasn't been the same runner, so he's not the same dual threat that he was. If you shut down Michael Thomas, the Niners should win this game and win it pretty easily, because he's been their offense. And I think that they're not going to be able to, I mean, they'll, they'll get the ball to Michael Thomas some, but I mean, Drew Brees, first of all, can't really throw the deep ball anyway. 
So I don't think the Niners are going to have to worry too much about that. I think they're going to load the box. I think they're going to try and jam Thomas and the other receivers. And then I think they're going to say to their pass rush, go get him. And honestly, I'm comfortable with that as a Niner fan. I'm more concerned on the other side of the ball because even though I think that the Niners will be able to run the ball, I I don't know. I mean, I guess Emmanuel Sanders is still recovering from the rib thing, but I feel like his effectiveness recently has not been what it was when he first arrived. And I do want to say one thing about this matchup because of, like you said, they, they might not have to worry about the deep ball so much. I almost want Tart to sit out regardless if he thinks he can go with the broken. I think Marcel Harris is probably the better option in this style of game because he's so physical and he's almost as good of a, as a linebacker in that ability. Tart's also pretty good at that, but he's also more of an over the top. He's been playing a lot of the single high safety. So I, I would rather almost see Harris in this game. I mean, he did come up with a big play last week with that turnover, which is one of the, to me, it's one of the weirdest turnovers I've ever seen when he stripped Lamar Jackson. Cause it was just a tackle and he, he has the ball. It's like, how'd that happen? You know, you didn't even see it with the angle that the camera was at. But I think playing him down in the box as that extra guy down there would be a great way for the Niners to go and let Jimmy Ward be a single high safety. Yeah, yeah, I think that they can do a lot with this defense. I think that's that's the biggest thing is that because they don't rely on the blitz a lot to get pressure, they, they, we know that they blitz the least out of any team in the league. We know that they can scheme up a lot of things and free up a lot of players because you can get pressure with four. That means that there's seven guys in coverage. You can do whatever you want with them, basically. You match them up however you want. So that's what they are. It's a very scheme neutral. And I think that that benefits them because they can uh, create mismatches on the defensive side, if, if you want to call it that, right? Usually we're used to offense creating mismatches, but they can be able to create a mismatch where you have uh, one-on-one blocking for D Ford and, and Nick Bosa on the line while DeForest Buckner eats up a double team. So things like that will will flip a game. And and as we know, the Niners have been able to control so many games with their defensive line. And it starts it starts with them. And getting D Ford back is huge because you really don't have an, you don't have a replacement for him. Ronald Blair towards ACL, he is obviously out for the season and an impending free agent. You may not have a year. I, I have to believe that they'll make a, a strong effort to resign him. Demontre Moore, who was the backup, looked promising, had a great game against Arizona, and, and immediately uh, the next game broke his arm, and he's out for the season. So now you're basically down to a practice squad guys who aren't used to getting snaps and Solomon Thomas rotating, rotating into that position. And we all know Solomon Thomas can't rush the passer. So having D Ford healthy and, and being able to come in and pass rushing downs is, is huge. And I think that once they have him back and, and, and in the mix, it's going to really, really make it difficult on, on Drew Brees. You mentioned how they don't really have much, much on offense uh, Levin, but they do have Taysom Hill. Who's, who's kind of like their oh, please. Swiss army knife slash Cordell Stewart kind of guy who just like, I don't know, like he's their gimmicky run guy, but I, stats. What, what do you think? What do you think about Taysom Hill? <laughs> I, I think that. Taysom Hill is the single most overrated player in the history of the National Football <laughs> League. I'm so tired of hearing about him. Okay, you know he averages 25 yards of total offense a game for his career. If he's so good at all these things, how come he doesn't play a real position? I mean, <laughs> we we love to show the Taysom Hill plays where he throws an eight yard completion or he gets a four yard first down because he breaks a tackle. We don't show the plays where he stinks where he doesn't catch the ball, where his throw is terrible, where he gets tackled behind a line of scrimmage. 
it's just like it's just this this it's like one of those you know ryan fitzpatrick oh did you hear he went to harvard it's just one of those things like announcers love to say that he's so great he's not a terrible player he has some skills but his impact on the game is vastly overstated if you if you're gonna come at me and say your game plan is Taysom hill on sunday please sign me up for that <laughs> I love how you were just basically just went in on Taysom. Did, did he still like, did he like steal your lunch money at some point? Like, I just can't <laughs> stand it. It's so, it's infuriating. People make him out to be like this, like, like defensive coordinators are losing sleep because Taysom Hill is going to run for a six yard gain. No, thank you. Oh, you got me going now. That's it. <laughs> we should just dedicate the next episode to Taysom Hill hate, just like a special no huddle podcast just dedicated to stats ranting about Taysom Hill. We should, we should do that. All right. So with that being said, um, I think that we should, uh, we should move to predictions and what we think is going to happen. I, I did predict the, the Ravens score. I believe I predicted the score correctly too. Um, but I'm not going, I'm not going with the opponent this week. I've gone against the Niners only twice this season, been wrong once been right the other time. Um, I'm going with the Niners this week. Um, I'm, I don't think it's going to be particularly close. I think they'll pull away at the end just because they, the, the saints really don't have a defense. Like they gave, they almost lost last week. They give up a ton of points, even at home on the road. They're inconsistent. Uh, if the Niners can hold on to the ball and if they don't have any foolish turnovers, like every, every game, Jimmy has that one play. That's, that's a, what were you thinking throw this past game? He had one out to the sideline to Kittle where the linebacker jumped it and he, he was never really going to take it to the house, but it was almost interception. It's whether those teams, the team can catch those or not. Right. So if they drop those and if, and if they can't capitalize on that, then I'm, then I'm cool with that. And I'm going to go Niners. I'm going to say they win 27, 20. I know I said it'd be not close, but I think that the saints will get a garbage time touchdown. I think the Niners will win 27, 20. I think the Niners are going to win also. Um, I, I think they're going to put up 30, to be honest. I think that they're frustrated. They're going to have to hear a whole week of people you know, talking about how the Seahawks are now the number one seed, or, or, not, or the Saints are the number one seed, but the Seahawks are first in the NFC West because, by the way, it's now, what, 35-17 Seattle because you know that's just what happens in these games. I think the Niners are going to be ticked off. I think they're going to put up 30 points. I could see the Saints getting a late touchdown and make it look closer than it is. So I'll say 30 to 24, but I think it's going to be a garbage time touchdown for the 49ers in, the, in a win. Well, I, I, I'm torn on how many points I think the Niners will score. Because on one hand, I, I do think on, on a New Orleans quality defense, but there's an underrated factor here, and that Superdome is very hard for opposing offenses. Mm-hmm. It there's going to be some timeouts wasted because they couldn't get the play call in. There might even be quite a few false starts. It, it's a difficult place to be able to hear because it is a dome and it's a dome that is particularly loud as domes go. So I, this is a game I could see the, the Niners scoring just a ton of points, but I think that will play a factor. So I'm going to go slightly less than what I, I feel like they should score. I'm going to say they're going to score 27 points. I do think the Saints will get a couple chunk plays. I don't think they'll consistently move the ball. So I'll I'll, I'll give them 17 points. So that's 27-17. I am picking the Niners for the first time in three weeks. I did miss last week's podcast, but I went with the Ravens. That's, yeah, I I, I gave you, I I read your your pick out to the, 
the listeners. And looks like uh, Levin and I were right last week. All three of us go with the Niners this week. I am comfortable with saying that they'll win just because they they are so good against pocket passers. And really, they control their own destiny. As you look forward to the rest of the season, the Niners get a little bit of a break with Atlanta coming coming here to San Francisco next week. And then the Rams coming here, and then basically the, that Seattle game, which is ba- pretty much going to be for the, I think, the division as the football gods would so have it. And by the way, guys, aren't you aren't you wishing that they would have that tie a few weeks ago at the very least? Are you wishing that they? I, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty now, right? And 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 I know I'm going to get killed for saying this, but I really wish that they at least would have tied that week. I, I th- actually, well, I mean, I don't think it would have made any difference anyways because there, there's still a tiebreaker to be had, but. Really, like, it's going to come down to that Seattle game. As we see the Vikings trying to mount their comeback tonight, they're down by 10 now, they scored. But it's a really tough place to play. And the Niners have not won there since 2011. And you're asking them to go up there, basically in a playoff type of atmosphere, win out, and then that will be your last win, hopefully, before you get home field in the division. If the Niners lose to the Saints, you basically give the division to Seattle at that point because then Seattle has to lose two games. They have to lose against the Niners and lose another one because they own the tiebreaker at that point with common opponents. So you cannot lose to the Saints. You cannot lose to the Rams. And you obviously cannot lose to Seattle. Now, what so are you're saying they got to go 14 and two. Well, the thing is they can lose <laughs> the team. The team that they can lose to is Atlanta. Basically. That's insane. They have work. to go 14 and two, which is crazy to think. I mean, it's so frustrating because now the, the worst part of this is I, I saw um, Oscar Aparicio, who, who's a great follow, by the way, for Niners fans from better rivals. He said that the worst part of this is going to be that one of the Niners or the Seahawks is going on the road in the playoffs to play the the Cowboys or the Eagles, which is ridiculous. Which is the NFL really needs to fix it. We said it when the when the Seahawks went seven and nine and hosted the game against the Saints with the Beastquake thing and all that stuff. The NFL needs to fix it, and really, it is what it is. It's not going to get fixed before the end of the season. So you have to win that game, Levin. I'm with you. I think the Niners. Defense and running game travels, right? So I'm not even worried about that game. But I would love to. I would love to have a first round bye. I would love to have games at Levi's Stadium this year in the playoffs. And the Niners really pretty much have to stats run the table. That's the position they put themselves in by losing to Baltimore. Unfortunately, you don't want to go on the road in the playoffs to Seattle. Uh, that's uh, mm-hmm. house of horrors. Hell for the no. Niners. <laughs> I don't want to go on the road in the regular season. I wish I wish they would just not even have to play there at all. Like it's just <laughs> it's just weird stuff happens. I don't know if they have a horseshoe buried underneath the 50-yard line, but weird stuff happens. They are the best fourth quarter team I've seen outside of the Patriots in the last 20 years. Russell Wilson is an absolute magician up there. Pete Carroll, I don't know what he does to get his team up for those games. They do not lose those games. Like stats, you had a you had a stat for me about primetime games under Pete Carroll. What 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 was that stat? They're eighteen and two in home primetime games under Pete Carroll, and probably nineteen and two after tonight. Unbelievable, and and that type of dominance—it's not an accident. It's not just luck. They're they are one of the dominant teams of this era of NFL football. Like you, we talked about the Niners, then uh, their Camelot, like Eddie Bardlow used to call it, from eighty-one until until Steve Young left in ninety-nine. They they got five Super Bowls out of that. People forget since since two thousand and five, the last fifteen years, the Seahawks have been to the Super Bowl three times. They lost two of them, but they've been there three times, <laughs> and they've hosted multiple playoff games at home. So really, this is a team that basically like they built their own, I guess, version of what the Niners had in their dynasty. It eventually will end at some point, but you're in the heart of that now, and the Niners have to go win there. 
that's what it's going to come down to. Well, Seattle's been the most consistent, best NFC team for a decade now. Just the way it is. They're not as dominant as, obviously, the AFC team being the New England Patriots, but they've been quite good for a solid decade now. Consistent playoff team that is to be reckoned with in the playoffs. But (laughs) I just don't want to go to Seattle. It's a, it's, it, it leaves me speechless just thinking about it and how much that would really stink to have this season end there again. It doesn't mean they couldn't win. I mean, we're being a little apocalyptic here, but if the season, a season that has gone so well ends in Seattle once again, I might have a hole in my wall. And <laughs> stats they can't they can't flex that game correct the last game of the season is not flexible no because there's no everybody either plays at one or four on the last week of the season because they don't want anybody to have to uh isn't that right because they don't want anybody to you know be at a disadvantage when the playoffs start right yeah, it would be a huge disadvantage not necessarily because the two teams involved would be playing in this specific scenario but you know there there were times i believe in the past i can remember from years a team was getting to watch their playoff opponent. They knew they were playing that team and they're playing mm-hmm. in week 17 and they're getting to watch them. I remember so that. It was, it was an advantage. But, I remember that. I mean, we'll, we'll see. I, I will say this. We talked about how it's going to stink for one of these teams, whether it's Seattle or the Niners, to have to go on the road for a playoff game. I hope it's Seattle. It might be the <laughs> camel. You know, it might be the hair that broke the camel's back to finally get the NFL to update. You know, it, I, I this is a pet peeve of mine in all of sports. Divisions are such an outdated idea. They mm-hmm. they were there because it used to be hard to travel, mm-hmm. so you needed to have more opponents that were close. I'm still for having divisions, but there is no reason that some crappy team coming out of the NFC East is going to be three or four games worse than the division loser in the NFC West should get a home playoff game. And it's a very simple thing to fix. Just create a rule saying if a division winner has a record that is two or more games worse than the wild card team the wild card team gets to host that way yeah if you, you know that way you give a slight advantage to your division winner but it's not overwhelming where you have some eight and eight team hosting a 13 and three team that's just absurd so maybe this will be the one that finally breaks it and gets one of these leagues to update their playoffs yeah, I agree. Uh, just some sort of seating system that they have, like similar to the NBA, where you have all the teams that are seated. You still have your divisions for tie-breaking purposes and things like that, and and uh, for determining home field. But but just basically a seating system uh, that will allow the NFL to be able to fix fix this problem. It's, it's an ongoing thing. It happened in the AFC a couple of times where there was a nine-win team that's hosted an eleven-win team, or uh, you know, like a. a uh, a nine win, an eight and eight team is hosted a twelve win team. That just shouldn't happen. It's just really a shame. Um, and by all looks, I mean we don't know what's going to happen in the Seattle game, but by all looks, the Niners are dropping down to the number five seed, which is okay. They, oh, they just went for a work. fake punt and gained like thirty five yards. So, yeah, things are good in Seattle. Yeah. So um, the the Niners are are um, uh, dropping down to the number five seed, and basically what's going to happen with them is is they're going to have to take care of their own business, win out and hope that Seattle loses. Like, look, Seattle hasn't lost on the road this year. They're not, I, I highly doubt they're going undefeated on the road. 
especially given the fact that they're already on a what this will be their seventh straight win, I think. Like you're not going to go into the playoffs on like a 12 game win streak and keep winning, right? Like the NFL isn't like that. Nobody goes 16 and 0 in the regular season, so that means that nobody wins 16 games. Well, the Patriots do, but but um, nobody wins that amount of games without losing at least once. So, which is why I'm kind of glad silver lining that the Niners got a loss out of the way. Then you can conveniently win the next four games and the next three games after that, and a nice seven game win streak to wrap up a ring, right, guys? Sure. <laughs> but I will say uh, before we before we get out of here tonight, I will say that this Niners group is a special group and I believe in fate and I'm not going to sit here and make predictions about what's going to happen in the playoffs in February, but I'm just going to say that I'm, that I'm a believer in that this team has a fate that is more special than anybody can really think um, can happen. I, I really truly, truly do believe that it's a special group and they are going to be destined for special things this season. We'll find out. So, any any parting thoughts, guys, before we get out of here? I hate the Seahawks. <laughs> that, that is all. <laughs> I guess we can uh, take that. Do we want to do a Taysom Hill yards prediction? No. We <laughs> don't want to do a Taysom Hill yards prediction. You know what we want to do? A Taysom Hill waste of time. Not even going to pay attention to Taysom Hill prediction. That's what we're going to do, okay? I bet you – see, now you goaded me into it. I bet you he has <laughs> less than 30 yards, and he doesn't score. All right, so if, if he has more than 30 yards and or scores, Stats has to put a, a picture of Taysom Hill up for the week on his profile picture. Is that Damn a deal? deal? What do I get if, if I'm right? Uh, you get to say that you're right. Well, that doesn't show. mean anything. I'm always right. <laughs> Zane's right. coming up with this thing, so what do you want Zane's yeah. profile picture to be? Yeah, that's true. I have nothing against Taysom Hill. I'm cool with Taysom Hill. <laughs> Hey, you, you made the bet. You threw it out there. You got to change your profile picture to Russell Wilson for the week. Ooh. If he has more than 30 yards in a score, he has less than 30 yards in a score. Or if, if, if Taysom Hill has more than 30 yards and or uh, more than 30 yards or a touchdown. Okay. All right. Fine. Fine. I'll do it. <laughs> I don't even know why I'm, I have nothing against Taysom Hill. My popcorn ready. I'm there just on the sidelines with my popcorn. Oh, man. Levin has avoided any interaction with this bet when okay, I guess we'll done. And they started it. The, the Taysom Hill bet. All right. So with that, for Levin Black and Rob Sasquare, I am Zane Nackvey with another episode of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast sponsored by theqbseek.com. And remember, for accurate predictions on every NFL matchup and thought-provoking content that can help your fantasy teams or confidence pools, head to theqbseek.com. Check you guys later.